glasses. She said her glasses, what did you call them? Blue light glasses. I said, are those like blue blockers? Does he get, who knows blue blockers? Do you guys remember blue blockers, the commercial for blue blockers? Is it just me? No? Anyone? Mark? Maybe Dana? Anyway, there were these sunglasses that you could buy on television back a long time ago. So, man, that joke died, and I don't have any other jokes on this piece of paper, so we'll just, let's move on. Um, hey, I'm David. If I don't know you guys, uh, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, at Highlands, and I, I was thinking about you guys this week, and I wanted to say a couple of things. First, um, you, you guys have been incredibly generous so far in your giving, um, and it's allowing us uh, to, to make really um, values-based decisions right now and moving forward for Highlands. And so first, I just want to say thank you uh, for your generosity. We talk about different ways that you guys can give because we're young, and, and that's a part of us understanding what we're actually able to do in the community. So I wanted to thank you guys for that. I wanted to acknowledge... Um, how difficult it can be to get here um, on a Sunday afternoon. If you'd see, like part of my family is not even here this Sunday afternoon because of uh, things that they had going on. And so I just wanted to say that I also really appreciate that. I realize um, that that's difficult. We've started recording these talks. That's why I put this little mic on and there's that kind of rigged up uh, phone there. We figured out that that was at least the simplest and cheapest way to record the talks. Uh, for right now to post them because people are asking for that because sometimes it can be difficult to be here on Sunday afternoons. We're hoping to move to Sunday mornings as soon as we figure out what our long-term space is. And so if you want to be praying for us something specifically, that's something to pray for is where's God calling us to long-term. There's a few options out there and we're really just exploring them and and trying to understand what it looks like again to be faithful to what God's called us to uh, in terms of, of being in space. Um, so, but I wanted to recognize the difficulty and the sacrifice and just say uh, that I appreciate that. And then one more thing, and this is related to next Sunday uh, before I get started, is that it's funny, Jen and I were talking, I don't know what day we were talking, but she said, people think Highlands is a lot bigger than we are. That's what she said to me. You remember saying that? And, and then and the reason that people think, people think that we're bigger than we are is that we're having we're having a wide impact on the community already. And, and that's because of you. People see what we're doing. They see what we're doing at Lockheed. They even see us sort of floating around Two Birds Tap House, right? And, and all of these other things that we're doing. And they're thinking, oh, like this, this, is, this, this is this big group. And really it's the dedication of, of your prayers and your presence and all of those things that are making that happen. And so I just want to thank you for that. And I really want to encourage you guys uh, to be here next Sunday. I'm not going to be here even as I say that next Sunday. Um, I have a friend from high school who is getting married and he asked me to do the wedding for him in Kentucky. Um, and he asked that a long, long time ago. And I said, yes, and so I'm actually going to be in Kentucky doing a wedding at 4.30 um, that day. But you guys will be close to my heart and, and I hope that um, it'll be a chance for you to reach out to some more people in the community um, as a way to connect and to serve. So that's that, um, we're gonna jump in to the talk. So uh, we've started out with Highlands starting in August, looking at our core values. That we, I'm, I'm not a topical preacher. It's not uh, my comfort zone. I like to uh, go through books of the Bible and, and speak um, as, as the scripture directs around those things. It's just a better place for me in terms of feeling um, sort of in line as, as a speaker. But I felt like the Lord was saying, 
for this first period of time that it was important for us to at least be on the same page uh, because I think a lot about Highlands and I think a lot about our values. And what can happen is that I can say some of those things and I can think that we're all on the same page and we might be talking about different things. And so as you're, as you're getting to know Highlands, as you're getting to understand who we are, I thought it was really important early on to make sure that at least we understand each other and what we're talking about. So we've gone through our core values. We've already gone through two of them. The first value is relational discipleship. Um, the second value is city of God. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, city on a hill, um, which is uh, city on a hill, salt of the earth, light of the world altogether. But we say city on a hill uh, for that. And so we did those. And right now we're in the middle of our third value, and that's family of God. Uh, so just a real quick review for that. Um, the reason that family of God is a core value for us is that, is that we believe that it's the primary language used for relationships among people of God in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is the son. He is, he is the person who really, who really solidifies the idea that we should, and it's proper to call God Father. Um, we're called brothers and sisters. We're called Jesus's brothers and sisters, and it's, it's family language that the New Testament church is taught to relate to each other in. And, and it's a good way to stay on mission as the church. We talked about a few weeks ago how sort of the church can become a club of friends or like-minded people. And, and that that's not really what the language of the New Testament suggests that the church should be in its interactions with people, but that it should be a family and it should interact as a family. And, and the way that plays out, um, at least for us, when we talk about it in terms of practicality, is that we believe that we're born for adversity with each other. Proverbs says a brother loves, I mean, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. We believe that we're born for adversity. We might not all hang out together all the time. We might not ever hang out together if it weren't for Highlands, but we know that there are people that are there for us when things get the most difficult. That that's what we're supposed to be for each other. Um, it means that, that we do good, especially for each other. You know, kind of the shorthand way that I talk about that is like, it's one thing for your friends to get, forget your birthday. It's a whole other thing if a family member forgets, right? That it, that it feels different, that family members are supposed to be there to, for adversity, but also to especially celebrate and do good for each other. And so we, wanna, we want to know that when we look at each other, that there's somebody out there who says, I'm here for your good. And then finally, uh, to be family means to remind each other what it means to be in the family. And that means what it means to do the will of God. Jesus said, my mother and my brother and my sisters are those who do the will of God. And so one of the ways we interact as family is that we encourage and edify each other. And even maybe when we have to, we correct each other in terms to say, we want you in God's will. We want you in God's best for your life. Not my plan for your life, but God's plan for your life. And so we hold the relationships in an open-handed way to offer them back to God. So then we talked about how do we actually do it? So this is the commitment we wanna to make to each other and how do we do it? And that's what we started looking at last week with the story of the prodigal son, because I think the first step to actually being able to be like the family of God is that we know what kind of father we actually have. And, and the prodigal son story is this radical story about the kind of father that God is. And, and I wanna, I'm, I'm not going to go over all the things we talked about last week. Again, we'll have a video that we'll put up. I've learned how to record the video. Now I've got to learn how to put up the video. And so when that happens in a few months, you'll be able to go back and watch it. Um, that was my second joke. So that was it. 
That was it. That was it. All right, good. Let's keep going. Um, so can you edit that? When the joke failed? Great. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, so, but something interesting coming out of last week's talk, uh, I, I had a number of conversations uh, comparing the story of the prodigal son with parents and their children. Even within my own home, I had a conversation of, well, how does that mean I'm supposed to discipline my children? If this is what the prodigal's father did, and that's an example, how am I supposed to discipline my children? What am I supposed to do for my children? I want to say a couple of things. Um, The prodigal son is not a parenting guide. Like, I just really want to be clear, like, that's not what it is. And I can understand why we could make it that, right? Because we immediately want to kind of grab hold of something that's accessible, and we want to apply the scriptures to it. Right? And that's a, that's a good motive, and it's a good motivation, but, but we also need to make sure that we keep the scriptures in their context when we're applying them to our lives. So the story of the prodigal son is a parable. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but, but it's a parable. And parable are, are most often made-up earthly stories that are meant to represent a spiritual truth. They're not meant to necessarily tell you how to do things, right? There's a parable um, called the parable of the shrewd manager. I don't know if you guys know this, but this guy basically goes and cheats his boss in the parable. And Jesus isn't telling the story because he's saying like, you'd be really smart to cheat your boss. Like that's not why he's telling the story. He's trying to make a point about using what you have for eternal significance because you don't have that much time in your life. And if we were to try to take the parable of the shrewd manager as a way for us to work in business, we would be missing the point. And and the same thing's true with the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is an earthly story that wants to represent not how we should parent our children all the time, but a spiritual truth about God and what was like a pretty profound truth about God at the time. Basically, Jesus was saying, God is father is different than any idea of father you've ever known. This father violates all the rules of being a father. He violates the better senses of what it means to be a father in this story by allowing his sons to go and do these things. And the point that Jesus is making is that the way that God relates to you, the way that God interacts with you as father is so full of grace that it's offensive to earthly father, fatherliness. And, and it's important to know that for a couple of reasons. One is because we need to know that none of our fathers could ever live up to what God the Father is doing. Two, we also need to know that the, the role that we play in representing God as a parent to our kids, those of us who have kids, is not the same as replicating God as a parent. And the reason I say that is this, is because when we are shadows of parents to our kids, we're supposed to sort of be shadows of what God is like. And, and there are times when, when, when children need to know, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this because not all of you have kids, but there are times when children need to know the grace of the Father. And then there are times that children need to know that eventually there will be judgment for actions. And at different times, we don't operate on the same spectrum that God the Father operates on, right? Like God the Father operates on grace, 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 and then there's one judgment. And as parents, we operate in just small bites of that, if that makes sense. And so I say all that to say, some of you kind of carry this burden as parents, of, of that it's, it's all one or it's all the other, but, it, but it's not exactly the same is, is what I'm trying to say. 
And so if, if, if this threw you sideways on how to parent your kids, it's, it's probably being misapplied. And the Bible says a lot about parenting your children, but it doesn't say much of it in parables, is what I would say. So that's it. We're done with that. If you want to ask more questions about that at the end, you can. Now we're going to jump in and um, we'll go through most of this pretty quickly because we've already read this story. But we're going to look at the story of the prodigal this week from a different perspective or with a different focus, maybe. This week, we're going to look at it as a story of three brothers. And if that sounds confusing, that's okay. That happens to me all the time, Claire. That happens to me all the time. Uh, at least you know where your keys are. Um, so we're going to look at this as a story of three brothers. So I'm going to read through the passage, specifically for those of you who maybe weren't here last week. Um, and then we're going to look briefly at the brothers um, that are represented in this story. So there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property and prosti with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. So this parable, I said again, it's not about parenting. But Jesus is using this parable to describe, to, to kind of answer an accusation. And we'll talk about the actual accusation in a few minutes. But, but essentially what he's doing is he's saying there, there are two types of people and, and there are really primarily two types of ways that people interact with God and both of them are wrong. The first way is the younger brother, the way that the younger brother interacts with the father. And we talked about this last week, right? For the younger brother to say to the father, give me my share of the inheritance is saying you're better dead to me than alive and I don't really care about your well-being. Right? He's incredibly offensive to his father. He's incredibly presumptive to his father. His father's not supposed to do that. This son doesn't want his father's love. He just wants his father's stuff. 
and he rejects any relationship that the Father has to offer. And Jesus said there are people that are like this. There are people that act like the younger brother, right? And that's what they think interacting with God is about. But then we look at the older brother. He said there's also other people out there. And if you look at the story of the older brother, it's actually really similar to the story of the younger brother. The older brother is incredibly offensive to the father. He won't go into the house and makes the father come out to him, which was something that you weren't supposed to do in his society. He won't refer to his father as father. He says, look, that's how he addresses his father. And he accuses his father of making stupid and unwise decisions. And he wants the stuff from his father and not the love, right? It's the same thing. He says, you didn't even give me anything for my friends. For him, it's about the stuff. It's not about the love. And this son also rejects relationship with the father. He has stayed home for years, but he hasn't ever really gone into the home with the father. Both brothers rejected the home. Both wanted the father for what they could get out of him. Both brothers were lost. The bad son, the younger brother, was lost in his bad decisions. But the good son, the older brother, was lost in his good decisions. And Jesus is saying they're both wrong. They're both the wrong way to interact with the Son of God. So let's talk a little bit, just for a minute, about the differences between these two. Because there are, there are differences in the ways that these people are interacting with God, and their differences actually lead to different issues for themselves. And there are things that maybe they'll resonate with you, or maybe they'll help you in understanding somebody who, who's different than you when it comes to interacting with God. So the younger son, he kind of goes off to find himself, right? He's incredibly self-centered, Right? He's like, give me the stuff, give me, I want to go do what I want to do. I want to go be where I want to be. I want to go do what I want to do. And I don't want anybody else to tell me. And that's kind of a big thing in our culture, right? Like, I need to find myself. I need to figure out what God is for me. I need to figure out what life means to me. It's self-centered and it leads to selfishness. And his sin is obvious, right? It's the big ones. It's the ones you think about. It's the ones that made you talk behind people's back at church when you were in middle school or high school or maybe as an adult, right? It's, it's the bad-looking sins. His sins look bad. But in the end, the Father still gives him love and he receives the love of the Father in the end and comes back home. Now, the older son, he doesn't go off to find himself. The older son, he actually stays home to prove himself, right? He doesn't stay home because he loves the father. He stays home to prove that he's right. And it's self-righteousness. It's not self-centeredness in the same way with the younger son. It's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness doesn't always look like selfishness, but it almost always looks like anger. Self-righteous people become the angriest people. And you can hear it in his voice when he's accusing the father, right? You can see it in the words, you did this. You humiliated our family, right? His sin looks good. 
Those are some of the most difficult people. As somebody who has, who has worked with a lot of people over the years through counseling and through different things, people whose sin looks good are some of the most difficult people to work with. People whose sin looks bad most often are already broken. And it's people whose sin looks good, right? It's the sin of judgment. It's the sin of self-righteousness. It's the sin of believing I work hard to get what I deserve from God. I work hard to get it. And what happens, the reason people that are stuck in sins that look good get so angry is because this is a world where you don't always get what you deserve. And this is a world where Jesus said that actually giving your time and your effort to the Lord can lead you into places where you get things that you don't deserve. And that can make the person who is working in order to get the stuff from God really angry at God. But it's tough. It's tough when sin looks good to be able to figure it out because there's a real fine line between obeying God so that you can be right and obeying God so that you can be by God's side. And this older son, this older brother, he isn't interested in being by the father's side. That's not why he does what he does. He does what he does so he can say, I'm right and I should get what I deserve. And when he doesn't get it, he gets angry. And here's the thing that we don't know. We don't know what he does with the father's invitation. Jesus leaves it at that. Jesus told this parable to answer a complaint about Jesus's behavior. It's kind of a weird story to tell. And at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 15, this is what it says. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus responds by telling a couple of parables, and this is the big one, right? He compares each group. He says, yeah, okay, here's tax collectors and sinners. They're the younger brother, right? And here's Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're the older brother. And here's the thing that I always notice about Jesus's parables and what I would have done, and I don't know why, it's probably because of my Enneagram number, one of you could tell me this, but, but whenever I hear Jesus tell a parable, I'm always trying to figure out who do I wanna be, right? Like which guy do I wanna be? And the weird thing is in this parable is like, I can't find anybody that I want to be. I can't find who I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be the father, right? That's God. So that, that spot's taken. It's the most attractive spot, right? But I, but I don't really want to be the younger son because I don't want to, I don't want to run off in self-centeredness and selfishness, right? And I, and I don't want to be the older son. I don't want to be stuck in self-righteousness so that I'm just angry because when things don't go my way, I think it's God's fault because I think he owes me some sort of, I was going to say quid pro quo, but I'm not going to say it. He owes me some sort of exchange, right? So who am I supposed to be? Well, I said at the beginning of this talk that it's a story about three brothers, right? It's a story about three brothers. It's not just a story about two brothers, and it was interesting. I found this out um, a few years ago. I didn't know this. I was listening to a sermon, and just a couple of years ago, um, I found out that, that there was a responsibility if, if a younger sibling left in Jesus' time that an older sibling was supposed to go get them. 
And see, I, I, I think what Jesus is saying is, yeah, there's, there's a third brother in this story, and it's, and it's me, it's Jesus. And he said, well, you guys don't want to go in the house and you don't want to celebrate. I'm going and bringing people home because that's what the father wants. I'm carrying people back into the house. Later on in Luke chapter 19, Jesus will say, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. That's what I think it means for us to look at each other and say we're brothers and sisters in the family of God. Is that when you're wandering somewhere, when, I, when, when you're wandering somewhere, whether it's wandering in self-righteousness or wandering in self-centeredness, like I want to I, I come find you. I don't want to wait for you to show up. I want to come find you and I want to remind you that the Father loves you and that he's waiting for you. And when I'm doing that, I want you to do the same for me. I want us to know that we have good brothers and sisters who would come after us. And I don't just want us to know because that would be a nice feeling for us to have. I want us to know that because Jesus says that's the kind of brother that he is. He seeks and he saves that which is lost. And both of these brothers are lost in this story. And Jesus says, I go after people like this. So what does that mean for us? For us, as, as Highlands, for those of you that are just visiting, you can just say, okay, maybe these guys will live up to this or maybe they won't. But for us as Highlands, as family of God, I think that means a couple of things. One is it means we cannot divide the world between good and bad people. We can't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say there are good people over here and they stay home and they do the right things and there are bad people over here and they run away and if they come back, we'll let them in begrudgingly. He says it's all, it's all bad. And it's all about coming home. And we're people who come home. We don't divide the world between good people and bad people. We, die, we divide the world between people that are lost and far from home and people that are at home who go get those people and bring them back home. Second thing that I think that it means for us is, is we need to know that love given is proportional to forgiveness received. The amount that you think you need to be forgiven is the amount that you will love the people you need to forgive and, and, and the amount that you will love the person who forgives you. Jesus says, Jesus tells a story later on, right? He tells a story about a woman. He said, she was forgiven much and she loves me a lot. But if you're forgiven a little, you're only gonna love me a little. Love given is proportional to forgiveness received and at Highlands, we have to be people of grace and forgiveness because we have to be people of love because God is love. And the last thing is really a question. Will we let, us, we will, will we let it cost us to bring someone else home? Because here's one of the reasons the older brother is mad. Because who does all the stuff that the father gave away belong to? The older brother. Right? Because what did the younger brother do with everything that he was going to inherit? He wasted it. So that means every time the father gave something else to the younger brother, he was giving it out of the older brother's stockpile. And Jesus, as the good older brother said, I'll let it cost me to bring people home. I'll let it cost me. I'll let it cost me time. I'll let it cost me ridicule. 
I'll let it cost me my life to bring people home. And if, we, if we're going to call ourselves the family of God, it's a big endeavor, and I don't think we're going to do it perfectly, by the way. I definitely don't. I'm, I'm not even sure if we're going to do it mildly well at first. But, but if we're going to say, yeah, we're the family of God, it's, 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 it's going to cost us. It's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to be easy. It's, it's going to mean forgiving people who are in this room right now because they did something or said something that really hurts you. It's going to mean giving up things, right? We for sure can't be the group of they sat in my chair, right? That can't happen. Or will we let it cost us to bring somebody else home? Because that's the real job of an older brother, of an older sister. That's what Jesus did. That's what it means to be brothers and sisters and co-heirs with Christ. We talk about being co-heirs with Christ and we think about salvation, right? And it's this awesome, wonderful thing. And we think about someday we're co-heirs with Christ. And so all the things of God will belong to us. But also being co-heirs with Christ means we're co-heirs to the mission of Christ, to seek and save that which was lost. God sets the lonely in families. And if we're not doing that, then we're not about our father's business. There's a lot of lonely people out there and they're messy and they're difficult and they're offensive and they want you for the stuff and not for the relationship and they'll reject the love and we're supposed to go and love them anyway. And we're supposed to go and give them grace anyway. So that's it for me. I'm gonna give you guys a couple of application points for this week. I don't even know what time it is because my phone's over there. Who knows? Five, five, five. five? okay, cool. Um, we, this week's applications, one is who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? It's an easy, I mean, it's an easy one to think about. It's not an easy one to do, but I wanna say something in this. Sometimes you need to also, part of this question mean, may mean where do you need to accept forgiveness? Because not accepting forgiveness will limit your love. Not accepting forgiveness will limit your love. Don't take that for granted. There's a real link between being forgiven by God and forgiving those who sin against you. And I don't think it's just a one-way link. I think it's a loop. Who do you need to forgive? And know that not accepting forgiveness, if that's something you need to do, is going to limit your ability to love the people around you. And then the next question is, who do you need to go after? Who's the lonely? Who do you need to go after this week? There's somebody. If you don't know anybody who's the lonely this week, then make it your job to find out somebody who's the lonely this week. You can cruise the square one day and you'll find somebody. And you'll be like, oh, why did I start that conversation? And you'll learn like it is. It's costly. Right? And again, I, I want to recognize, like, there are always consequences, and don't put yourself in a situation where you could get physically hurt, and uh, we, we know those things. We're, we're adults. Like, we know those things. But we also need to know that love's going to cost us. And so who do you need to go after this week? That's it for me. Um, I don't think Maggie's done. So if you guys, do you guys have any questions about Family of God? We've been talking about it for three weeks, so I figured I'd take a few questions since we had a little bit of time. Um, then I'll pray, and we'll eat dinner. Do you guys have any questions? about this week or about the past couple of weeks? You guys are good to go? You're ready? Family of God, rah-rah on three? You're ready, for sure. Is that it, really? No questions about it? Older son, younger son, parenting? No, all right.
All right, let's pray. But, yeah, okay, good. You can say that too. Anytime you want to say, I liked that part, you don't even have, you can interrupt me. You can just interrupt me and say, I liked that part. I'm going to probably agree with you. I'm going to be like, I like that part. Um, thanks, Claire. Uh, not anything? All right. Let's pray.